there was this underlying message of striving, of running towards success, no matter what it takes. And that it all starts with me, that I am the hero of the story. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having ambition or being determined. In fact, I think Paul is probably one of the most ambitious and determined people that has ever lived. And he encourages other Christians to be that way. But the problem comes when we think, I am the savior of myself. It's all about me and it's about what I do. And we forget what Christ has done for us. Welcome to the PC Youth Podcast. We are continuing our series in the book of Philippians, looking at Philippians 3. This week, we are hearing from Pastor Kiera as we learn salvation and the life we were created for is only found in a relationship with Christ. Grab your Bibles and something to write with as we get into this week's message. All right, so we're going to jump right back into our series on Philippians, and we're going to go to chapter 3. Spencer finished up chapter 2 last week, so we're going to jump right into chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up starting in verse 1. So as we've talked about, Philippians is the letter of joy. Paul is writing to this church in Philippians and just talking about what it means to live as a Christian in a place that is very secular and does not believe in Christ. So he's encouraging them to have joy no matter what their circumstances are and to have faith in Christ. Are we there yet? Chapter 3, verse 1? Yes. All right, let's start. Verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So pretty much off the bat, what Paul's saying here is that what I've been saying to you and what I'm about to say to you, it might seem a little repetitive, and that's because it is. (laughs) He's been repeating it, and he's continuing to repeat these things, but it's because it's important. It's something that's fundamental to the Christian faith. It's kind of like when you eat food or you drink water every day. It's very repetitive, but it's essential for survival. So what do you do? You do it every day. So the same goes for what Paul is about to say. Whatever it is, it's fundamental for Christians to know. So he continues in verse two and says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So who are these dogs, these evildoers that Paul is talking about? Well, Paul's talking about this group of people called Judaizers. Say Judaizers. Judaizers are these Jews who are trying to get Gentiles who are not Jews to conform to their practices. So whatever rituals they had in their faith, they said, you are not saved unless you do these things, including circumcision, which was the cutting off of foreskin. So a long time ago, God promised these Jews that he was going to bring a savior from their line. The savior would save them from their sin and give them a way 
to be united with God again, just as it was in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. So God gave them these certain rituals or these practices for two reasons. One, it was to show the other nations that they were different, that they were God's chosen people who were set apart, marked off as those who would represent him. Secondly, it was to remind the Jews of the promise that a savior was going to come through their line and this savior, this savior would cut off sin and evilness from their lives. So it was a very, very sacred practice for these Jews. And they were trying to convince these Gentiles that they needed to do it as well. But then, as we read in the Gospels, the Savior that was promised did in fact come. And through his death and resurrection, he paid the debts for our sins so that it no longer had a hold on people's lives. So he cut off sin from their life. So by this time, there's no longer a need for these practices because it pointed towards the promise, but the promise was now fulfilled. The Savior came, they are free. Whether they're a Jew, whether they're a Gentile, whoever receives Christ is free. But some of the Jews, these Judaizers, believed they still needed to follow these rituals in order to be saved. So they went around telling these non-Jews, okay, if you really want to be a part of this promise and you want to be saved, you must become like us. You need to be circumcised. And so Paul is saying, no, this is not the gospel. You do not need this to be saved. And so why does he use such harsh language in calling them dogs, calling them evildoers? I want us to imagine this for a second, kind of an analogy. Imagine that you're in prison, okay? <laughs> you're in prison and you have a debt that needs to be paid, but there's no way you can pay it. So you just have to sit there, alone and just stuck. But there's someone who loves you, who cares for you so much and wants to see you set free so they decide they're going to pay your debt for you. And they are so excited to be able to tell you and to be able to be there when you're let out of that gate and you are set free. So they pay off your debt, and it's not easy. It takes a sacrifice, but you know what to them? It's worth it. They want to do this. So they do, and the guards bring this person to... With, bring this person to your jail cell so they can tell you what they've done and that you're now free. So this is a big moment. Can you imagine being in this place where you have this big debt, you're hopeless, and now this person comes to you. They tell you what they've done. The guard opens the door and says, you're free. But instead of running out of that cell in gratefulness and thankfulness and joy, you, you stay in there and you say, no, my debt isn't paid. I still got to do my part. Can you imagine the hurt and the frustration of the person who paid off your debt? Like, do you understand the sacrifice I went through? 
I wasn't expecting you to have to do anything. I did this for you. Like, no, you're free. All you have to do is walk out of that gate. And this is the frustration that Paul has with these Judaizers because they're telling these Gentiles who believe in Christ that they aren't really saved unless they do their part in it. So Paul warns the church of Philippi and he says, watch out for these people. Do not believe a word that they say because the truth is you are free. And it's not by what you've done It's not because you've cut off a piece of your skin. It's because of what Christ has done for you. And it's because of him, he says, you are truly circumcised, meaning that the evilness and sin have been cut off from your life. So don't believe a word they tell you. Then Paul says, okay, look, if Judaizers want to play this game, Tell them they can bring it because I know better than anyone what it means to be the perfect Jew. So you read on in verse four and Paul says, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now Paul's not saying all of this stuff to just brag on all the things he's done, but he's saying, look, I've experienced Judaism, Judaism, it's a hard word for me, at its peak. I've experienced all that there is to know about it. Paul is the poster child of what it means to be the perfect Jew. So he knows better than any of these Judaizers what it's like to live that life and accomplish all that there is to accomplish. So what's Paul's take on it? What does he think about this life about this life that he lived as a perfectly moral and religious person. Well, let's find out. Verse seven. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. How many of you have heard stories where people are like, yeah, I've been there, I've done that, and trust me, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. I think we hear plenty of these stories, and that's what Paul is saying in these passages, that I've lived a life striving after religious perfection, And you know what? 
I pretty much achieved it, and I count it as garbage. <laughs> Say garbage. Trash, nice. What if Pastor Spencer and I came up here and said, all right, guys, we're doing another camp registration giveaway. Last time we gave away an Xbox, but this time you're getting a full can of garbage. I'm not sure that camp registrations would go up. In fact, some of you might pull your registrations out. Thankfully, it's an iPad, so there you go. But why? Because it's garbage. <laughs> it's repulsive. It's not worth anything. You don't want it. And that's what Paul is saying about his old life of striving, of reaching perfection or reaching success. He says it's nothing and it's garbage in comparison to having a relationship with Christ, his Savior. So wherever we are today, whether we're Christian or we're not, there is something that we're chasing after. Whether it's in religion, just career success, happiness, money, relationships, education, status, material things, there's dozens and dozens of things we could be striving after. And it's part of human nature. We want to make our lives mean something. We want to do something with our lives. And not only that, I think that striving is especially ingrained in the culture that we are in today. Out of curiosity, I just went online and I searched what are like the most famous quotes to like look through a bunch of lists. And I found it very interesting because I saw a similar pattern through most of the quotes. So I want to read some to you guys today, see if you can catch the pattern. But before I say them, I am not endorsing these quotes. I think there's some that are pretty good and there's some that I think are pretty misleading. So not endorsing any of these, but just so you can get idea of the pattern that is said through them all. There's quite a bit, so hang with me there. If my mind can conceive it, if my heart can believe it, then I can achieve it. Everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. The question isn't who is going to let me, it's who is going to stop me. Life has no limitations except the ones you make. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. If you can dream it, you can achieve it. The power of imagination makes us infinite. A year from now, you may wish you had started today. When you've got a dream, you've got to grab it and never let go. You can be everything. You can be the infinite amount of things that people are. I'm not going to continue knocking on that old door that doesn't open for me. I'm going to create my own door and walk through that. All you need is the plan, the roadmap, and the courage to press on to your destination. Last one. Our lives are stories in which we write, direct, and star in the leading role. Some chapters are happy, while others bring lessons to learn. But we always have the power to be the heroes of our own adventures. Did anyone kind of notice a pattern in a lot of those? All about your life? Yes. 
I found it interesting as I looked through these quotes that I hardly saw, and it's to your point, I hardly saw any that talked about how we should treat others. It was all about me. I hardly saw any quotes that talked about the importance of taking breaks and resting. I hardly saw any that just talked about being grateful or content. There was this underlying message of striving, of running towards success no matter what it takes. And that it all starts with me. That I am the hero of the story. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having ambition or being determined. In fact, I think Paul is probably one of the most ambitious and determined people that has ever lived. And he encourages other Christians to be that way. But the problem comes when we think, I am the savior of myself. It's all about me, and it's about what I do. And we forget what Christ has done for us. And sometimes I think we don't realize that we're doing this, or sometimes we do. I'll be the first to admit that I have done this both before Christ and even after Christ. There have been hard moments where I've had to remind myself, Kira, you are not your own savior. You need to bring this to God so he can be the one to work through it. And so in the end, I think we can do all the striving we want, but salvation and the life we were created for is only found in a relationship with Christ. Salvation and the life you were created for is only found in a relationship with Christ. Why? Why just Christ? Because none of us are Christ and none of us can do what Christ has done. So we can't find the answer in ourselves and we can't find it in other people. None of us know ourselves like Christ knows us. None of us loves like he does. None of us are perfect like he is. None of us are holy like he is. None of us could pay the debt of our sin like he did. And none of us can conquer death like he did. So we are not the answer to our hurts. We're not the answer to our sin. We're not the answer to other people's hurts or sins. And other people aren't the answer to our hurts and sins. Only Christ is the answer to our sins. He's the only one who could die that death on the cross and pay for our sins, and he's the only one who had the power to raise himself from the dead. As John chapter 14, verse 6 says, a very popular verse, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. He is the source of all those things. He's the source of salvation. He is the source of truth. And he is the source of the true way of living life. So why look for these things in other places beside the source? The person who can show you the fullness of all these things. And so Paul is telling the Philippians, there is nothing more valuable than knowing this Christ. This Christ that is our Lord and our Savior who paid our debt and opened this prison gate so we can walk out. And so Paul continually says there is nothing more valuable than knowing this Christ. And this term knowing isn't something that's just passive like, oh yeah, I, I know this person. 
Like, oh yeah, I know Emma, kind of. I don't really know much about her, but I know who she is. But it's something that's a lot more intimate. It's very personal. Saying, no, I know this person. I know who they are. Like a close friend, maybe even a spouse. I like thinking of kind of the imagery Paul gives in the context of like a healthy marriage or a strong friendship. You know, you have a relationship where you know this person and you love them on such a deep level that you wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. No matter if you or the other person is going through a really hard time or a really great time, you want to stick by their side through it all. It's not like, all right, you're going through a tough time. Like, (laughs) sorry about that. I'm going to go over here now. But no, you want to walk with them through it because you love them so much. It doesn't matter what they're facing, but you want to be with them through it. And this is the type of love Paul has for Christ and encourages us to have. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, which is something really great. And he says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death through the hard times. The point is loving Christ so much that you're committed to him and getting to know him more and more. And I want to add this too, because I think it's such a good analogy. But continue to think about this in the context of relationships. When you have great accomplishments or successes, I believe God celebrates with you. He gets excited for you. But just know that his love for you isn't dependent on those things. It's not just about when you're doing all the right things or you have accomplishments, successes. He doesn't love you anymore just because of those things. And then on the flip side, when you do fail, he doesn't love you any less. It's not about what you do. It's all about what he's done. And he loved us first, as scripture says. And so he loves you where you are and he invites you into deeper relationship with him. And so as we come to live a life with Christ, as we pray, as we read his word, and as we get to know him more, our mindsets, our choices, our attitudes, our actions, our entire lives are transformed. They're transformed into how God created them to be. And so Paul says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing this Christ we can have the keys come up. In fact, I think Paul is taking it a little further in saying the only thing truly worth striving for is a relationship with Christ. The only thing truly worth striving for is relationship with Christ. Not only because of what we all just talked about, but Paul also says in the last verse that it's only through relationship with Christ that he can attain resurrection from the dead. Now, what what is Paul talking about, resurrection from the dead? Is it heaven? What is it? Well, I want to talk about one of the places I went to in Israel because I think it just gave me a little bit of a different perspective on this. It was a place called Bet Shan, and it was one of the last places we went to, and it's this massive ancient city. It's huge. 
and it was built by the Romans who were very powerful, very wealthy. So it had amazing architecture, very beautiful. There was this giant theater that you could like, they, they were so smart. You could go to one spot in there and people could hear you from everywhere. Like it, they put so much thought, so much detail into these places. They had pools everywhere. There was marble steps, huge roads with these big columns on either side. It was just an amazing city. They had everything they needed really. And by the world's standards, it was a very successful place, a place for all the wealthy and the high status people to live. So me and my group were sitting at this theater overlooking this great city. And my professor who was leading the trip said, let me read you some of the tombstones that were found in this area from the wealthy people. And I don't have a list of what those were. I wish I did, but I remember they were all along the lines of, I lived this great life, but it all came to death in the end. Or like, no matter how many treasures you build in this life, you can't escape death. This city had everything, but it knew it could not overcome death. That was the one thing to them that they didn't have. But Jesus did. And he was around this area during this time. So he came and said, I have this thing that you don't. I have overcome death. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I have overcome death so that you can too and walk with me into new life. So when you say, yes, I want to know Christ and I want to follow him, it doesn't matter whether in the world's terms of... if you're successful in the world's terms. Because no matter how this life goes, Christ is with you, he is for you, and you will experience resurrection because he's made a way for you. And I think that's both in this life when you die to sin and you're raised to a new life in Christ. So you're no longer bound by sin, but you get to experience the life as God created it to be. And I also think it's talking about when you actually die, die, and then eventually you will be raised to life so you can live eternally with God on the new heavens and new earth where everything, everything will be made right. There's no more sin, no more brokenness. Imagine a world like this, no more sorrow, no more injustice, no more violence, no more pain, no more death. Man, if that doesn't make you want to know Christ more and love him more, I don't know what does. And so no wonder why Paul is so passionate here about the value of knowing Christ. Because it will transform your life now and forever. There's nothing like it and everything else is truly worthless in comparison. Would everyone stand with me today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This life with Christ and a personal relationship with Christ is available for all of us today. So first I wanna to talk to some of the Christians in the room. If you're a Christian and you've given your life to Christ, but you'd say, man, Kira, I need to refocus some of my priorities. There's some things in my life that I'm striving after when I really need to be striving after Christ. 
If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. You can go ahead and put your hands down. And maybe you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ. And that's okay. We are totally glad you're here and we just want you to know that we don't view you any less or any different than us. We're all broken and we're all just in need of Jesus. You're welcome here and you are valued here. But maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you want to. You want to know him. Know that you don't have to strive for it. You don't have to get things right first. You can come to God as you are. Christ already paid the price for you and paved the way. All you have to do is step out of that gate. If that's you and you want to receive Jesus in your life today, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thanks. I see your hands. We're going to pray a prayer together. And as we pray, I just would ask you to focus on the words you're saying and don't say them unless you truly mean them in your hearts. Because this is a big moment. And I don't want us to get in the habit of doing things just because it's the right thing to do. But I want us to do it because we love Christ and we want to grow to know him more. So would you pray with me today? Jesus, I'm sorry for living my life apart from you. And I'm sorry for striving toward things other than you. So God, today, I refocus my heart, my soul, and my mind toward you. I say yes to you being the savior of my life and the Lord of my life. Thank you for paying the debt of my sins on the cross so that I would no longer be bound by them. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I can be raised to new life with you. I love you, and it's in your name I pray. To stay caught up with everything happening with PC Youth, check us out on Instagram at People's Church Youth or go to peopleschurch.com. 